Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 107, the 107th Psalm. While you're opening your Bibles, we appreciate your generosity uh, as you're helping ministry happen, not only in this community, but as Drake mentioned, all over the world. And so thank you for what you're doing right now and will do in the, in the future. Uh, we are in, as uh, Drake mentioned in the setup for this morning, we're in a week that's bridging uh, our last series of Pathways where we talked about the things that God has presented us, scripture, prayer, and community that help us draw close to him and develop ourselves in discipleship. And I want to preach from Psalm 107 today because it helps bridge us into the series we're going to start next week. And at the end of the service today, I'll explain where we're going with our next series because we're very excited about what God could do with that series. But today I want to talk to you out of Psalm 107 uh, about a message about the tenaciousness of God, tenacity, how God's love is unrelenting. Now the word tenacious means not breaking easily from. Uh, when I was a kid, think about uh, one time I got caught at my, uh, I was at my uncle's uh, farm in Missouri, uh, Brookfield, Missouri, and a snapping turtle in the pond got a hold of my swimsuit. And you would have thought it had been easy to get that thing off. It took, honestly, it took my uncle to get a stick to beat that thing strong enough that it would let go of my, he's like, take your shorts off. And I thought, nope, I'm going to die with this snapping turtle on me. And uh, so when I think of tenacity, I think of certain things. I think of my little brother when he was younger. He was tenacious with his inquisitiveness. He would ask the question, why, about everything. And it didn't matter how I answered. Even if I had an effective answer that answered why the river went that way instead of this way, or why does some trees have fruit and others don't, he was just an inquisitive kid, and he was relentless, tenacious. He wanted the answer to all of these questions. Uh, I think of one creature that stands out to me as one of the most tenacious things God ever created. Now, I need you to give me a hearing. Some of you are going to roll your eyes and dismiss me, and you're already going to start to mentally write your email to me. Just get, be patient. When I think of one of the most tenacious things in the entire world, it's tenacious in its neediness, and it's a cat. Now, let me explain what I mean. Have you ever noticed the evil ability a cat has to know if you want or don't want it near you? Now, reason with me. Even if those of you who have cats, you know I'm telling the truth. If a cat thinks... If a cat believes that you want it near you, that cat will avoid you, that cat will hide, that cat will run away and make you earn its love. If the cat knows you hate it, it is relentless and tenacious. It'll rub around your leg. It'll climb up behind you on a chair. It'll put its evil dander all over you so you snot and sneeze for four hours. Anybody else with allergies? Am I lying? No, thank you. Amen. And so cats are tenacious. When they've decided they don't want to be near you, you can't get them. If they know you don't want them near you, they will not leave you alone. What is tenacity? not easily broken away from, not easily separated from. Today, I want to talk to you a little bit about God, and I want to tell you how God's tenacious. And it's a part of God that we need to celebrate, yet I think it's often misunderstood by the world, and that's why I want to talk about it. The tenacity of God's love, how God never stops loving. God will never stop caring. God will never stop pursuing. And yet the world doesn't know that, does it? The world thinks God's a rule keeper. He's got a big yardstick. He's about to rack your knuckles if you don't do exactly everything he asks you to do. It's a misrepresentation of God. And if the church won't talk about the tenacity of love, who will? 
In fact, Psalm 107 calls us to. Have you ever noticed that there's a kind of a personality of certain kinds of people? They're the people that walk in a room, they're like, here I am. The party is starting, I'm here. And it's all about them. And then there are other people who walk in a room and they're very unique and they're very special and we love them dearly. When they walk in a room and they're like, oh, there you are. They walk in a room and it's about others. It's not just about them and their presence. And sometimes there's a place for both, but those personalities are quite distinct. I want to ask you a question this morning. It sets up the whole 107th Psalm. Is God available only if you need him or is God pursuing you moment by moment? Is your God a God that you only relate to when you need him? Or is he a God that is pursuing you moment by moment and drawing you into himself? Is God a here I am God? Or is he a there you are God? Because the way you see God will actually define your worship and define the way you live out your faith, whether God is available or whether God is present. And so because of that, I want to look at Psalm 107. To do so, I need you to understand that Psalm 105, 106, and 107 was put together by the Jews when they put this songbook together. They put those three together because they're a trilogy. Psalm 105 talks about God's covenant promise to Abraham and how he is faithful to that promise. Psalm 106 talks about how the Israelites rejected God and walked away from his covenant love. And Psalm 107 asks and answers the question, how does God respond to those who have rejected his covenant? How does God react? In fact, in Psalm 89, 49, Psalm 107, the answer to this question is found. O Lord, where is your former great love, which is your faithfulness, you swore to David? In the 89th Psalm, the author of that song asks the question, God, you promised to be with us in everything. Where are you? And then in Psalm 106, verse 47, save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Notice that one is saying, where have you gone? And the other is, show yourself because we know who you are and we trust in that. So the 107th Psalm is answering the question, what happens when the covenant love of God, Psalm 105, is met by the rejection of that covenant love, Psalm 106? How does God respond? Psalm 107. Let's read the first three verses. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell the story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from lands, from east and west and north and south. Now, in the translation that I grew up reading, a New American Standard, it would say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And I remember being a kid at church camp, and they'd be singing around the campfire, and they'd do this thing called a round. Somebody would start a song, and then the second group would come in a moment later, and they would just sing the same words, but in a round. And when we did this, we used to sing this song, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And this is what we are called to do today. Let those who God has showed his faithful love to, let them proclaim it. In a recent message on prayer about three or four weeks ago, I asked you, and I hope you've tried this, and I believe if you have, you're not going to stop doing it, but if you tried this, I asked you to think every morning when you awaken to thank God for 10 things. Start with micro and go all the way to macro. 
Start with the simple things of life that you wake up on Monday morning and you'll say to God, yesterday, your faithfulness, I'm grateful for this, a good conversation I had with the family, someone I met at church, someone I saw that I hadn't seen in a long time at church, or maybe it's just a good meal or a good afternoon sitting out on the back deck enjoying a beautiful sunny afternoon, whatever it is, just begin to recognize God's faithfulness to you and it will change your heart. And so this is what Psalm 107 is saying. Knowing that God loves you is not nearly as important as experiencing God's love. So living in that gratitude and that thankfulness is what we're called to do in this psalm because God's reaction to those who have walked away from him reveals as much about God as it does about us. So I want to show you four things from this passage this morning. First thing is this, God's love can provide for those who have no place. God's love can provide for those who have no place. And I put the word can in there. I don't want to spend too much time, you know, micromanaging this message, but I do want to tell you that the word can in there is important because there is a contingency on God's love. God's love is always present. God's love is always available. God's love, however, is not always received. Are you with me? So we're not talking about whether or not God's love is effective. We're talking about whether we're open to it. Because it is ever-present and it is tenacious, God will never stop loving his people. Verse 4 and 5. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. The first group in the 107th Psalm is a group of people who walked away from God looking for other sources of life. In their riches, in their profession, in their friendships. They, these were the Israelites who walked away from all that God had done for them, seeking to do it on their own. And what they found out was the things that they placed their security in were insufficient. It could not give them shelter. It could not give them safety. It could not give them hope. It could not give them strength. And it could not give them the basic necessities of life. They were not in control of what they wanted to be in control of. And the writer of the psalm sees people with nowhere to call home, no food or drink. They're on the edge of death, and there's nothing they can do to help themselves. This is what Psalm 106 was saying. They had rejected God for other gods, other sources of life and hope. No home, captive in Egypt, freed to a journey, no place of security, no ability. They had walked away from God and found that they were incapable of providing for themselves what they needed. Verse 6, here's the contingency. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. God's love is available to those who call on it, to those who surrender to it. The contingency is God's love is always available. The issue is many of us don't want to receive it. We don't want to humble ourselves and open and when it says cry out to the Lord, it doesn't mean that God is simply waiting around to do whatever we ask him to do so he can prove he loves us. We cry out to God only when we know he loves us, when we know he's available. So I have to confess, I may have sinned this, I know I sinned this week, but I may have sinned in one particular instance. I was at a coffee shop this week and uh, I was working and I saw this environment take this moment or scene take place really close to me and I eavesdropped. I shouldn't have eavesdropped, but I'm glad I did. 
Because this elderly couple came in and he was real sweet and he asked her what she wanted. She sat at the table, he went up and he got her coffee and came back and he got her and she was, he got her a piece of banana bread and she was like, oh, I don't really want this and then devoured the whole thing. It was amazing. So he sat down, he and his wife, and then this young couple came in. I could tell by the embrace and everything that the age was different enough that I'm pretty sure this was a granddaughter with her fiance or husband. And they came in and sat down with this grandparent couple at this table. It was real cute. I was enjoying it. It's like, this is nice. And they were having a conversation. I didn't eavesdrop on this, but the old man sat there for a second. He just pounded his hand on the table. And I thought, ooh, interesting. And I took my headphones off. <laughs> okay. And he pounded the table and he looked at her and he said these words, honey, why did it take you so long to ask me? And it was sweet and it was safe. And this grandparent was saying to his granddaughter, in my, the way I took the story, you can ask me any time. Why did you wait so long to ask? And she told him, well, we want to do it this way. We want to do it this way. And the way I understood it, it was probably a financial aid toward buying a home. And he, he looked at his wife and he looked back at her and he said, anytime you need help, you come ask me. And then I put my headphones back on. And I thought, I hope I can be a grandpa like that someday. But I want to tell you this. Our God is like that every day. Church, listen to me. Our God is like that every single day. You can go to him because his love for you is undeniable. It's not contingent on whether you've behaved. It's contingent on how much his character is proven. You see, we cry out to a personal loving God and he hears us. That's why verse eight, you're gonna notice this refrain throughout Psalm 107. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. All the way back to the first three verses. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. So I challenge you this morning. Let the redeemed of God talk about how he's provided a place for you. Let God's people say that in the house of God, everyone is welcome. Everyone can come home and be with him. We also learn that God's love can bring freedom to those who have rebelled against him. The others looked for their own form of security, but this next group is different. Verse 10, some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. This group is different. They've rejected the sovereignty of God. You see, the, the first group walked away from his provisions for them and found themselves empty and desperate. This group basically walked away from God's right to have any say in their life. And they chose their own path. And it says here that God Command, by God's commands, they were imprisoned. They were enslaved in the choices they made. Romans chapter one says that God gave them over to their passions. This is what he does. He lets us have what we want. If we want God to leave us alone, he loves us anyway, but he will love us enough to say, then go do what you think you need to do. I will not make you love me in response. And we enter into prison and into chains and this passage tells us that when we rebel, we're put into a dungeon. It represents the darkness and the soul weighed down by telling God that he's not Lord of their life or Lord at all. And in that case, then, they find themselves imprisoned, punished for denying the truth. Verse 13, 
Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Wait, God's the one who chained them? And then God's the one who breaks their chains? What is that? See, I want you to understand right now a key principle of the gospel message of the Bible. The good news of God's love for us is this, that God does not act like our sin doesn't matter. God understands our sin matters so much that it brings his wrath on sin. But his love means that when God pulls us out of the bars and he takes the chains off of our wrists and our ankles, that God puts them on himself. This is what Jesus did. That God did not simply say, we're going to act like it doesn't matter. God says, I'm going to show you how much sin matters. And he entered into our prison so we could be free. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Cry to the Lord. No matter how great your sin, no matter how great your rebellion, no, no matter how great your pride and ego, cry out to God. And watch what he does. Verse 15 and 16. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. There's the refrain. For he breaks down gates of bronze and he cuts through bars of iron. Let the redeemed of the Lord say how he provided them a place. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell the world how he freed you from the slavery of your own sin. The third thing we see in this 107th Psalm is that God's love can bring healing wisdom to the foolish. To the foolish. That's a term we don't like to use. I don't. Psalm 107, 17. Some become fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. A fool. Now, I, I want you to know that God is watching everything you're doing right now. Is that a little bit of pressure? So I'm going to ask you a question. I need you to respond. Have you, and I want you to leave your hand up. It'll only take you 10 seconds. It's a lot of work, but see if we can do this, right? Have you ever met a fool? Raise your hand and keep it up. For those of you whose hand is not up right now, have you ever driven down range line? <laughs> then why is your hand not up? You see, each one of us over-evaluates our own skill and under-evaluates the skills of most. But at the same time, we can under-evaluate our own skills and character as well. We're probably not the greatest people to assess this or not. So what is a fool? That, Jesus says not to call someone a fool. So I just made you confess in church you have. But what does it mean by a fool? A fool is a person who is self-deceived and self-absorbed. It's a person who rejects the wisdom of God as if God doesn't know what's going on, as if God's understanding of human nature and the way he created us, that God doesn't understand. Because in our culture today, it's really easy to say God's standards on certain ethics, sexual ethic or, or work ethic or home ethic or, and the way God has designed all of us, that none of that fits today, that God could not anticipate 2022. He just built this for the 1700s. And that's foolish. And even more foolish is to reject God's wisdom in such a way that we say there actually is no God. To reject the wisdom of the Lord is what is talked about here. The first group wandered away seeking their own way and found themselves empty and desperate. The second group rejected God himself and his sovereignty in their life, and they found themselves imprisoned by sin. The third group rejects the wisdom of God, and they've ruined themselves. Verse 18 says they've become sick and on the edge of death. 
because they're destroying themselves with their own ego and pride. Verse 19, listen for the hope. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and he rescued them from the grave. What did he send out? His word, his wisdom. The wisdom of God changes the fool if the fool will open himself to the wisdom, to the standards and laws and practices of God. They're not merely forgiven, they're healed. Think about that. They're they're starving and on the edge of death and yet the word of God brings life. It is the daily bread that fills our souls. Verse 21, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, the tenacious love of God. Let them sacrifice thank offering and tell of his works with songs of joy. Let the redeemed of the Lord say how he provided a place. Let the redeemed of the Lord say how he freed us from slavery to sin. Let the redeemed of the Lord talk about the restored life and healing that comes from God. And lastly, God's love can bring deliverance to the helpless. I need to give you a little bit of a Biblical background here before we read verse 23. When waters and seas are used in the Old Testament, a good portion of the time, probably 80% or more I'm estimating, that when the sea is talked about in the Old Testament, it is referencing the unknown dark forces, uncontrolled by man. It's often considered to be evil. That's why when you find an ancient map, you might notice that sea dragons and sea monsters are drawn into the old ancient maps in the depths of the sea. This is how. That is why the biblical image of being baptized into the water and going underneath and coming out of the water is a burial. That imagery is prominent in your Old Testament. So I want you to now listen to the words here. Some went out on the sea in ships and they were merchants on the mighty waters. They had a plan. They had a purpose. They were going to prosper. They saw the works of the Lord and his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards, and they were at their wits' end. I actually didn't know that the term at their wits' end was biblical. That's what I learned this week. But think about it. They go out to make their money in the forces of the world, and yet the forces of the world control them. They don't control it. So many images in the Old Testament about how we are at the mercy of many things that we have no control over. And the author of this song talks about the people who are being shaken by the world and how it's how they melt away. They become at their wit's end. They don't know what to do. The forces that destroy businesses and families and homes are bigger than all of us, and there's nothing we do but have to submit most of the time or be overcome by it. Verse 28, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it drew calm, and he guided them to their desired havens. Look at verse 29 with me. You ever heard another story in the Bible about when the storm was stilled by a whisper? Do you ever remember another story where the waves of the sea were hushed? Do you remember Jesus sleeping in a boat and he was awakened by scared disciples? And they said, are you going to watch us die? 
And Jesus stands up and he says, hush, be stilled, and instantaneously all the water is calmed at the hand of the creator. And the disciples looked at one another and said something along the lines of, who is this guy? See, the 100 Psalm is forecasting that even when life becomes so hard and the storms wreck our plans, God's love is tenacious. Verse 31, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Let the people of the Lord tell the story because church, if we won't, who will? If we can't tell the story, look at what's taking place in this psalm. In every situation, whether they tried their own security or tried to walk away from the sovereignty of God or whether they've rejected God's wisdom or whether they just got caught in a set of circumstances that was overwhelming. They all cried out to God. They don't cry out to a God. They cry out to the God. The relentless, tenacious love of God is available to every single one of us if we'll receive it. Because not only when we cry out, he hears us. He's not too busy He's not disengaged. He's not disenfranchised. He hears us and he responds. When we cry out to God, not like a genie in a lamp, when we cry out to God and his love endures forever. I see right now, if I presented all of this to you, I'm pretty certain I haven't misled you in any way. But that's not enough. See, it's at this moment where the tenaciousness of God's love, the ever-present, I'm not going to give in, I'm not going to relinquish, that makes sense to us mentally. But I need you to know it's not theoretical, it's real, it's alive, and let me show you how. God's love is proven, even to those of us who have never received it. How is it proven? Because Jesus came to give us a place at the table. Jesus came to invite us into his father's house. In fact, he said, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare, to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. And we're going to go to that home. He also said, and I'm going to sit at a banquet table with you. I'm going to sit at my table and I'm going to lift a glass of wine and I'm going to break the bread and I'm going to eat the covenant meal with you again. I told you I would. And when I come back, we will. That's why each and every week we take the Lord's Supper to remind ourselves of that promise of that moment. You believe that the tenacious love of God is real? Let me tell you about Jesus again. He brought freedom to those who were enslaved by sin. He broke the chains. He tore down the bars by himself walking in and receiving our punishment. The tenacious love of God. He came as the word, John says, John chapter one. He came as the word to dispel the foolishness of this world to bring a gospel of good news and the wisdom of God in a man to display who God is by the way he lived and loved and died. And he came to still the seas and bring peace to people in storms. He told us at the end of Matthew chapter seven that you will build your life on a foundation. It'll either be the foundation of truth founded by Jesus, the rock on which all things stand, or it'll be built on the sand. And when the storms of life come and the waves overwhelm us, our houses will tumble. Jesus said, follow me and I will bring you into my kingdom on whose foundation the world is held together. His love endures forever. His loving kindness is available today through Jesus. Maybe you have never, ever given yourself to Christ. 
Oh, you've made choices that you believe he's a good person, but you're not following him. You're not one of the redeemed. And what I mean by that is you have no story to tell how you've actually let Jesus give you a place and to, to give you freedom and to bring you healing and to offer you life. Today, you can do that. Any day you can do that, but why not today? And maybe there's some of us in the room this morning who at one point in time made a profession of faith in Jesus. And I'm not judging you, but if you realize you have not lived toward him, you, the love of God is theoretical. It's not real and experiential, and you're not celebrating what he's done for you, then I'm going to encourage you today, return your heart back to him because he is waiting for you to offer him yourself that his love may overwhelm you. At the back of the room are some tables with lamps on them. And I'd encourage you, if you need someone to pray with you or to help answer some of your questions or take the next step of faith, I'm gonna encourage you when we sing in just a few moments, you go to those tables, but don't let today leave that you just simply say to yourself, ah, the love of God's nice. Now let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's sing the song of salvation. Let's celebrate the love of God. I open with this question. I want to close with this question. Is your God available to you only when you need him? Or is your God pursuing you moment by moment? Because the answer to that question will dictate how every one of us chooses to live our lives. Let's stand up together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christchurch, visit us online at cco.church.